On this episode of Athletic Training Chat, we have Alejandra Merriman, who is a CTE patient care pathway teacher and secondary school AT at Dorsey High School in South Central LA. She has a bachelor's of athletic training from Loyola Marymount University in California, has a master's of rehabilitation sciences, sciences degree from California University of Pennsylvania, and just recently completed her DAT from A.T. Still University in Arizona. Along with that, she sits on the California Athletic Trainers Association Secondary School Committee, in addition to being one of the founders of Latin XATs, which if you follow them, they are very busy on social media, so they are putting in a ton of time for that. As always, we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. Please check them out for any of your sports medicine and AT needs. And before we jump into this episode with everything in California and the West Coast, uh, we hope everybody's staying safe from the fires and the air quality. And we're thinking of you all and hoping that you're making it through okay. Please let us know if there's anything we can do to help. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode. episode of athletic training chat uh we are still recording in early august in the midst of covid and trying to figure out what the world looks like but in that process we are talking to alejandra merriman who is an athletic trainer out in california and also one of the founders of latinx ats and that is kind of be a lot of the focus of our conversation today um just in the short time that you guys have been up and running um awesome material putting out and I know I called in last week to your round table which I thought was fantastic and you know really we can touch on this as we get there but my question that I had in that and just basically being the epitome of what I would probably consider and most people otherwise is white privilege being a middle to upper class depending on your definition white male um that wants to just make things help make things better. Uh, and knowing that I can play a big role in that um, and others can as well, I thought that would be a huge um, topic of conversation. And that was kind of the hashtag equality ATs is how you equal ally, maybe is how you say that. Sorry. That was yeah. Equal, equal, equally ATs is the equally. ATs. I say it. Got it. I like that. that. It makes a lot more sense than what I just tried to spit out. Um, but before <laughs> I keep rambling, I'll turn it over to you to fill in your background, um, where you're at, what you're doing. Um, you have mentioned off camera about finishing up your DAT and then, um, maybe just a little bit of background on the Latinx ATs, um, group and what you guys are trying to do and we'll just go from there yeah so i am in los angeles california los angeles is huge and so i'm i work in south central los angeles at dorsey high school so i'm a secondary school athletic trainer and i'm also a cte teacher and um i've been certified for what is it, not in nine years 2011 so nine years and I'm going to I'm gonna start off with the equally ATs because I, I, I don't know what the heck I was doing. I think I was just like, what can I say to like show like, you know, I'm an ally as an athletic trainer and how we can all be allies. 
and then I just started like trying to play out, do a play on words. And then I saw something on Instagram that had a sentence using like equally and Alan. I'm like, oh, I can just use like that. It, it ends up working out. Um, and I wanted to start using that more with Latinx athletic trainers because um, I see myself as an ally or see the Latinx community as an ally. You know, you just don't have to be white to be an ally. Um, so that that was my reasoning behind that. And within Latinx ATs, we, we when I say we, when I speak about this, I'm, I'm speaking about the founders because I can't speak for our members. I can only speak for myself um, and what Alyssa, Ellie, and Oscar have communicated to me. Sure. And we felt there was a huge lack of representation. Um, I did not have a sense of belonging as a Latina athletic trainer, and I didn't have someone who looked like me growing up um, or who could communicate with me in, in my language if, if need be, or who could understand me culturally. As I think that understanding someone culturally is completely different than being someone who looks like you and being able to like, you know, communicate with you. Is there just like even understanding our patients culturally creates a different uh, type of care than just being a normal athletic trainer. So I, that my reason behind wanting to join um, Ellie and Alyssa and Oscar for Latinx ATs was because of lack of, of lack of representation. I uh, was just in a document a couple weeks ago that said as of July 2020, our membership is 80.85% white, 5.25% Hispanic, 4.1% Asian or Pacific Islander, 3.79% Black, but non-Hispanic, so not Afro-Latino, um, 2.09% multi-ethnic, and then I think it was like less than half of a percent for American Indian and the rest is other. So like my thing is, if we're coming in second, why don't I see us anywhere? Mm-hmm. You know, it, and I think that, that to me, it really resonates. I had one um, in college. I had one athletic trainer. His name is Joe Gonzalez, and he's been such a huge support to me. He was one of the first athletic trainers in practice. Um, that was that is a Latino man that I saw, and and then we also had Steve Cortez at um, at Loyola Marymount when I was. So like those two were like the only Latino men that I saw going like in college, the athletic trainers. And then like just growing up in high school, right? I didn't have an athletic trainer, and when I um, when we did get one, she was there part time and she was a Latina. And so she sparked my interest because I wanted to be an orthosurgeon um, in high school. I just loved like blooding gory stuff and like breaking <laughs> bones and whatnot. So I thought I'm just going to put together bones and all that. And then I got hurt. And, and then um, Myra, you know, introduced me to athletic training. I'm like, it was pretty freaking awesome. Like I, who knew that you could still help injuries and do what you love on the sidelines, you know, with sports. So it was a Latina who inspired me. And then, like, going, growing up as an athletic trainer, not seeing many Latinas and people who looked at me, like, that, to me, is, like, representation matters. Like, seeing someone who looks like me and who can relate to me. Um, yeah, I just think that that's 
Ellie, Ellie uh, Leon is the, or I don't want to say the original, original founder. Was, this is her baby. You know, this is an idea that she expressed and I jumped on it real quick and I was like, Hey, me too. I don't feel like I've ever belonged. I, I, I need the sense of belonging. I, I, we need to be represented. Like, let's do it. Sure. And uh, her and Oscar, you know, were originally the ones who they, they spoke about it together. And then Alyssa and I just were, were just there to support and, and it came to fruition. I'm so happy that it is what it is. Like you said, it like in such little time, we received such a positive and overwhelming amount of support. Like people just want to be involved. And we just um, came up with our mission and vision. So we're slowly getting there. And we'll slowly like build all these committees and subcommittees and whatnot. Um, but we're still trying to get our feet on the ground. Well, I can, for an undertaking like that, I can only imagine, you know, it's one of the, you got so many things you want to do and I can only imagine the ideas that you guys have going that it's almost hard to like focus in on something to get it done. Like you said, just getting a mission and vision statement out there, I'm sure it was its own huge undertaking, but you want to work on all your other things. It's can be overwhelming to say the least. Yeah. It happened, uh, but it's it's very needed. Yes, absolutely. So we also had a um, previous um, episode uh, around race and athletic training. I was talking with um, a lot of African-American black community within the profession, and obviously some more has come out, and I've seen that, um, things that you guys have posted about that. But even within that, they are talking about some of the issues and the concerns they've seen within the National Association. And then just kind of in general, like when you look at a different staff, you know, staffing across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, first, I, I got two questions on this. But first, I wanted, because I know you've been very outspoken about um, the NATA, uh, we now know who's going to be the new president, um, mm-hmm. and everything that's going to move forward there. So what do you see that maybe the NATA hasn't done necessarily, quote unquote, well, and what would help move things forward from, from your standpoint? Um, I think my first issue with NATA has just been the lack of communication. And there, they, um, I can go on about this, but the lack of communication, and I think, you know, they're just like the typical white corporate America. Okay. We have a race issue. How do we fix it? Well, let's hire a black professional and put them in charge of something and let's make it diverse. You know, and that's that's what a lot of corporate America has been doing lately. They hire a person of color to head on their um, their ethnic and diversity or inclusive, like they just EDI. Those are the common terms used within the committees or councils, right? And then they think problem solved. Sure. Right. So that that to me is making is wanting to make your your company diverse because that's what NETA is. It's a company. It's a business. Um, so it's wanting to make your company diverse, but it's not making your company inclusive, right? So I don't think NATA is inclusive. And that is seen with, more recently, our LGBTQ plus committee. And it's seen with the um, with JADO, Japanese Athletic Trainers Organization. Yeah. And now it's seen with us, the Latinx Athletic Trainers Organization. So 
the idea behind diversity and inclusivity, people think just being diverse means you're being inclusive. Right. And it's that inclusive part that's been eating me. Like, you know, you're not very inclusive. Like someone, um, someone the other day uh, tried to invalidate my feelings of representation by, by throwing out numbers. But hey, we have two or three um, Latinx people in, in this department or this is like these reps. And I'm just like, is that supposed to make me feel better? Because you have one or two or three of us then that's supposed to represent the almost 6% of your population. Like that, that, that to me is showing that you are not, you're not listening. You're not listening at your members who are saying they don't feel represented. They don't feel like they're included. Um, there is more than one minority in, in our association that needs to be represented. And that, so that issue for, on the race and diversity and inclusive side for um, NATA is, is what I've had an issue with. And the communication part, you know, there, I forget. So the other day, or not the other day, the other week, AT Vantage, and I love Alicia and everything she's done for our profession, um, AT Vantage posted some, a resource that NATA came up with. It was on COVID and xenophobia. So I, I'm looking at it and I'm like, hold up. When was this published? When was this released? Why is this the first time I'm seeing it? And why, why is this the first time I'm seeing it from AT Vantage and not EDAC or NATA? I didn't even see it in our NATA emails that we get blasted all the time. Sure. You know? And so I go on the NATA website and I go to the cultural competency part of our website and I see nothing. And I'm like, so where is this resource? Turns out it's in the COVID section. And I'm like, why is something about race in COVID when it should be under cultural competency? And why am I seeing this from AT Vantage and not NATA? So I think that's one of the reasons why I don't like the word competency within cultural competency, because clearly people are not competent or knowledgeable, right? Yeah. Um, in, cult in culture. Because if, if, you, if you're saying that people are being racist against our Asian community because of COVID, which is a fact, then that should be under cultural competency. Because you're not informing me on COVID. You're right. not giving me facts about COVID. You're giving me facts as an athletic trainer on how I can stop racism against our Asian community within our clinical settings. And so, like, one, you got to figure that out. Two... You have to let your members know. I feel like NATA just wants their members to always figure stuff out on their own. Like to go on the website, find this on our website, find this there, find this here. And it's like, that's great. But you are in a culture where social media can be used as one of the greatest tools you will ever have available to you. You have all of these athletic trainers who are all over Instagram, all over Twitter, and they use social media. So why not communicate with your population, your membership through social media the way that you should. And if you want to continue doing emails and include it in the emails, because the fact that I, I went through my emails and I tried to find it and I couldn't. So the, that type of communication, the fact that they only tweet when they're like promoting themselves and stuff, you know, like, no, you're, you, you are supposed to be for us. So uplift your members, you know, put some more people of color on your website. 
talk to your district, put more people of color on their websites. You know, like there, there's just this lack of communication um, within NATA. I've heard so many things that happen within NATA, the NATA, and it's just, it's horrible. And I, now I'm starting to realize like, okay, I'm starting to back off from them a little bit more because I'm starting to realize like they don't even have their own shit together. <laughs> so like, okay, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to get my stuff, my ducks in a row and I'm going to do things my way and I'm going to create change where I can um, because it, a uh, very wise person told me the NATA is us. We are, the members are NATA. So if we want change, then we have to do the change. We just can't, I'm not, I'm not going to wait around for NATA all my life because then I'm just going to be sitting with my thumb up my butt just waiting like, mm, <laughs> nothing's happened yet, you know? So I, I have to, we have to initiate the change. So I think those, that communication aspect and just um, amplifying its members' voices even more and making sure that you're actually inclusive within diversity, those are just my, like, my two biggest things and issues with NATA. And I've spoken to Kathy about it. Um, you know, I had a conversation with Tori with the whole black box response after George Floyd's murder, which, murder, which I just, I, it still bothers me to this day that, you know, you have all these other NATA organizations, EDAC put, a, put out a statement, and then Katie put out a statement, and then NATA puts out a black box. And I'm just like, don't we have a PR team? Right, right. So like it's just those things that um, that I think need to change, and I think it. But again, the change starts with us, and it starts with us being involved. And and it's not just being involved locally. You know, that's where I started was locally, and then started to branch out and stuff, and and being involved in your district and whatnot, and slowly but surely influencing enough to get to the top and make some kind of change sure. because I can have all the NAPA presidents call me. I could care less, but if you're going to call me and talk to me and produce no action, then that to me shows me what NAPA represents. So. Kind of spurring, this is a question off of everything you just said. Um, I, I really liked your distinction of like, you know, just having people of color or, you know, that are bringing diversity is, is, its own thing, but that doesn't necessarily equate to inclusion. And I know, you know, we on our own campus, you know, we have our office, our department of diversity and inclusion. Could you try it? This is probably putting a little bit on the spot, but I'm guessing you have a good answer for this. Like define like what would be seen as like quality inclusion, if that's a okay way to say it, or really like that is, moving inclusion forward because again this and this ties right into kind of my second question of all this thing is i asked the other group that we were talking to is you know I, our campus is 10 percent diverse for the first time in its history and they're very proud of that but that's still only 10 percent we're in a very okay. white community um in short of just a couple spots in wisconsin like a very white state you know that's just where we are um, our staff is not overly diverse either, and I will be the first to admit that. And, you know, so just like talking about how we could bring some more diversity and different views and everything to our staff, but then kind of on this tying back into inclusion to make it so it's not just that, well, now we've got a person of color on staff, like we're, we're crushing it, we're doing great, but really 
making it mm-hmm. so it's something that's beneficial and just a good scenario for everybody involved. Yeah, I, um, someone reached out to me on Twitter and asked if they could have a conversation with me about this. And um, I think being inclusive means understanding that one, there's more than one minority, two, there's more than one ethnicity, three, there's more than one culture. And to me, you don't, like, I understand the budget and the business side of especially universities and not being able to hire and to get rid of people just to, you know, fill that people of color quota. But I even suggested, like, have guest lectures of color. Have, you know, have them whatever topic. I mean, topics of race in healthcare and a social determinants of health that need to be had. So even if it's having a guest lecturer of color, talk about those topics. It's showing your students of color that you're aware and you're trying to make an attempt. But it's also understanding that, understanding intersectionality. You know, a lot of people focus, they're one-track-minded, right? I said this the other day on Twitter, like single advocacy issues. And you can't focus on one thing when all these other things are affected it, affected by it. You know, unpopular opinion, black issues are brown issues. Brown issues are black issues, which are then LGBTQA issues, which are also a part of the Asian community. Like it, everything is involved, right? It affects every other thing and every other person of color. And so just recognizing even things like colorism happens in Latinx community. Racism happens in Latinx community. How, or what are you doing for your DACA students? Are you doing anything for them? You know, like those type of things to me are in inclusivity, like being inclusive to all of your, your students of color. What do your websites look like? You know, do, do, are, they, are they all a bunch of white people on the website? Or do I see a brown face? Do I see a black face? Do I see people who look like me? And that was, um, <laughs> was one of the things I brought up, um, you know, go on the NIT website and EDAC's website, like I didn't see anybody who looked like me. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't feel welcome. If I don't see people who look like me, I'm not gonna feel welcome in a space where you're trying to welcome people. So from an institutional standpoint, I understand the difficulty of of money issues and trying to change things around and whatnot, but there are small things you can do. Like even, you know, is there a black student union on your campus? Is there an Latinx student union on your campus? Um, Is there, you know, or do you have a mentorship program with other universities where, you know, your student athletic training student of color cannot relate to you as a white male, but you may have, a mentorship program with another university or someone that you can offer, you know, like, Hey, I, I don't feel like I would be the person for you, but I do have this person who is willing to, to be there for you if need be. It's the smallest things that can make the biggest difference. Sure. You know, like those things will, will show your students. And I wish would have like, I had that, you know, I, I wish I had those type of things where, I can find someone to relate to culturally and to, and who can understand me. Um, and just more importantly, just asking your students what they need from you. 
I think that's that's huge. Like, I don't understand why EDAC and NAPA just don't ask its members of color, what can we do to better serve you? It's just such a simple question. Right. And you can get so many answers. And, and I feel like more institutions need to, it's okay to ask, what can we do to better serve you? You know, I, I just became a preceptor for Azusa Pacific University, and their students were telling me that it wasn't until recently, either 2019 or 2018, they just got rid of that racist textbook that was floating around social media on, on pain perception and different races. Hmm. They were using that. And it wasn't until a black student athletic trainer said something, then other um, athletic trainers who were black started saying something as well. And now that book is not used at the university. But, you know, it's like being, being conscious of those things and willing to listen to your students and their needs and how you can better serve them. It's something simple as that. You don't have to waste any money to listen to your students. Yeah, I saw a tweet just earlier today, and it had asking and then the greater than sign, then assumptions. Um, and I, I, that's something, you know, I think, again, kind of coming from definitely the white privilege side of, like, not being afraid to ask. You know, obviously mm-hmm. doing it in a very professional, you know, thoughtful way where you're not just – I think that it has to be a part of it just – from generally being a kind of a good person, like you put some thought into what you're doing before you ask mm-hmm. stuff, but like, don't assume, you know, like you had mentioned, you know, putting just a black square or putting something up is really going after it. And honestly, I'm learning as I continue to do this, you know, try and figure out it more for myself of like asking you the, a question and somebody else, the same question, I could get two different answers and that's okay. 100%. And you have to, because again, um, I've had this discussion with some fellow white colleagues is like, we can't even pretend to understand where someone's coming from because we just, we don't know. And we probably never will unless we move to a completely different country and flip the script for ourselves. Mm -hmm. You'll never, I'll never understand. And so if I don't ask and try and at least comprehend to some degree, I I Mm -hmm. don't understand we're really not doing our part and, yeah. it, and it's hard for people to see that I think and I and I think that another point that I'm trying and I've been trying to make is that everything I just said needs to go beyond us we have patients of color yeah right like your white athletic training students are going to treat patients of color yep and so they further need to understand how immigration is an issue, how systemic racism is an issue, and how all of all, how all of these things, how every single component of social determinants of health is going to affect your patient's healthcare. So, you know, as an institution, it's also really important to teach that into your, your students. Because I did not learn social determinants of health in school. Right. I did not. I didn't learn it until I went straight to a PT clinic after after graduating with my bachelor's as an ET, certified AT. And it wasn't until I was in that type of community where you deal with social determinants of health. And I started to deal with, because I'm Spanish speaking, so I got most of Spanish speaking patients and just learning about these things. I'm like, holy crap, why didn't I even know these things existed? Right. right? And 
and so that that needs to be taught to our students and i think i talked to a couple people about this with katie i i'm very i i love dr sowers he was um he's faculty at at still and I just, I can't say enough good things about him and I'm, and I'm very happy that he's our Katie president. He's very aware, but there's always room for improvement. And with the new standards, I went through the standards and there's one standard. You have sections, then you have standards. Yep. There's one standard on social de determinants of health. And it's not even, it's worded differently. I don't understand why it's one standard because you as an institution can decide how to educate on that standard right right you, you just have to include it whether that's one chapter one lecture whatever you have the freedom to choose as long as you check the box it needs to not be one box you know social determinants of health needs to be an entire section racism and healthcare needs to be with an entire section and you standard should address each different component of the social determinants of health and and how they affect different races and ethnicities culturally um you know because it every although um you know black and brown communities share similar struggles we share very different struggles right right so it's like understanding both you know we both have high rates of obesity high rates of um you know heart problems and whatnot but we deal with things differently. And it, it's like understanding that and teaching your students that, that you can't treat, oh my gosh, it gets me mad when athletic trainers say, I don't see color. I treat all my athletes the same. Like, you can't, you can't do that. You can't treat an athlete the same if they're not the same. They're not the same. And it's, it's teaching our students that. Because I would, I learned all of this just doing and being. You know, I went from a PT clinic to um, a high school that is literally half black, half brown, not a single white person on the campus except for our teachers. And half of my brown students, I want to say even more than half, um, came here as refugees. And, and so it's like, I'm, I'm having to do my own research. Like I went to the NATA website to try to find Spanish resources for my students. And I'm like, well, shit, there's nothing there. So I guess I'm just gonna have to make my own documents and and start translating stuff and and that's what i did i started making my own documents i started translating everything and because we don't have those resources for our spanish-speaking students for our afro latino students we, we don't have that and that's something that needs to be addressed in our education with katie and it's something that as an institution since we have the freedom to talk a little bit more about this stuff if you want to then then you should do it because it's 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 something that's not addressed and if it is addressed it's like this addressed as much you know it's like we have one content class on microaggressions and cultural competency and like we're set i know it's called continuing education for a reason you know because medicine continues to change but one thing that hasn't changed is racism and how it's affected not only our healthcare professionals but our patients that we're treating so that that as an from an institutional standpoint like those are definitely things that should be addressed and there are small things that can be addressed to to make a big a big impact 
I think that makes a ton of sense. And, you know, it's, it sounds, it feels overwhelming at times because I agree, you know, like you look at the standards and there's all the, you know, traditional stuff you need to treat for the profession, but Mm -hmm. it's a hard reality and it's a scary reality. I think to a lot of like, it's not just that anymore. Like it has Mm -hmm. to expand and it's going to expand into things that we've never done before as it should. And that's a huge change. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I, hate to equate it to like research but it's like it almost takes like that whole phase shift because you gotta like move one era mm-hmm. out to then allow the next era to come in and then it'll occupy its time Absolutely. you know it it feels at least from my end that that needs definitely needs to happen and maybe potentially slowly maybe is going to it to some degree but mm-hmm. you know like you even had mentioned in the world that we're in now with technology and all the other things that we can do like why it does not i don't think it has to it shouldn't be that slow it, yeah it, i mean it's it, something it, as, for a time to do it quickly now it's something as simple as putting out content like we've been doing you yeah. know like it, you, you just don't like, have to change yeah you don't have to change like people think change has to be big like no it doesn't it can be so small like just put out like a tweet on a fact or something like you know i i feel like people want to address only like this much when yeah you can do that that's fine but you can adjust this much and do it in ways where it can reach thousands mm-hmm. and it's so simple like do an infographic and put it out and don't make your members go look for it because they're not going to look for it come on we, we all know we're not going to sit through the entire nat website and just look for everything that's no. not going to happen so it, like it, it can be something so simple to make the biggest impact like you don't need to change the entire board of directors right. and the way everything is like we don't need to do that I mean, we just have to start off small but it's the fact that like i said racism has been here for how long and we got a black square this year you know like that we can do better we really can sure Oh, I did want to get into a little bit about creating change. It's something not necessarily directly related to this, but when you look at like trying to change people's minds, which is from what I've gathered, almost darn near impossible, um, you know, and just that it's not necessarily just a facts thing. Um, Lord, sorry, my cat is uh, feeling like he needs to get involved with the conversation. apparently. (laughs) Um, But that being said, I think there's ways to do it. It's just, it's really interesting how to like lead people and it just takes a lot of time and a lot of persistence and obviously that's something that you are focused on and the group of latinx ATs is focused on what have you found that maybe has worked um or things that you're willing to try because i know at times it's been you know posting directly to people which definitely will get people's attention but maybe not always or doesn't necessarily change so just have you found things that have kind of been working for you or not? And this is really just a general curiosity thing for me, <laughs> hearing from somebody else that is yeah. really on change. I mean, I, I think what people have to understand about me and the way that I approach things is I kind of, as a woman, and then as a woman of color, and then as a woman of color who looks like she's 16, you have to present yourself a particular way 
so that people know you don't play and you mean business. And that was something that I had to deal with as an athletic training student. Just people thinking I'm, I'm like, it's just, it's, it's different. It's difficult. I think of all those three factors made me the person that I am today, which people think is a little obnoxious and aggressive. Um, but I just say I'm really outspoken and passionate. You can see how you want to see it. Um, so the way that I approach things may be really different for other people, right? But with me, I'm not scared. I am was tired of being left out of the conversation. I was tired of having to defend myself and prove myself. So now I just do me. I do me and I go about it. And if you don't like it, that's fine. Because I'm still going to do what I'm doing. And I'm still creating change within my community. And guess what? You weren't there to begin with. And I'm still doing what I'm doing. So when I tweet at people and when I address them, I'm not scared of calling people out. I believe in accountability 100%. And I hold myself accountable. And I think when you hold yourself accountable and you admit that you're wrong and like just admitting and acknowledging, like that's huge. And I think that needs to be normalized. Accountability and calling people out needs to be normalized. I do it in a specific way. If you want to do it in a nicer way, that's fine. Like however you want to do it, you go ahead and do it. I do it my way and my way has worked for me. And I, so I'm not going to change that. I will, I have changed. Um, I don't say a lot of things. I see things differently now. You know, I've, I've just, I've learned, I've learned to communicate differently. I still communicate the way I communicate, but I just communicate differently. Sure. And that's because every, everything is so sensitive and um, people can take anything offensive. And um, so I, I've changed my communication style where I've, I'm learning to how to communicate with people outside of my community, mm-hmm. right? Because my community is very different from your community. It's very different from, from Twitter, from Instagram. It's different. So um, that kind of stuff has helped me communicate more. But I do have, I have a model. My motto is to a little education and a little advocacy go a long way. I, I, I truly believe that those two things can do so much. And I think what people need to realize is that it's not our job to change anyone's mind. I am not here to change anyone's mind. I'm here to educate people. And what people decide to do with that education is on them, right? If you choose to take that knowledge and create change and change your behavior and your mindset, great. Then I've done my job. And then hopefully, you will then go educate someone else and change their mindset and so on and so forth. And it's created this great ripple effect, right? But if I didn't get through to them, because trust me, there are people on Twitter you just can't get through. Yep. Then I just, I wash my hands. I tried once. I tried twice. The third time, okay. Clearly, I can't. There's nothing I can say or do that can try to steer you in the right direction. So I'm going to move on. 
because I can't harp on that one person. I'm not, and I'm not going to lose sleep about that one person. Like I have a greater agenda. I have other people willing to listen. And I think that's another part. Like, um, people need to not be scared to say their story. Like you really don't know who's listening and you really don't know who you can inspire. And then they can speak out. You know, that I think that those, those things like not being able, not being afraid to speak out, educating and advocating, those three things can create change. I, I, again, I really stress that you cannot force anybody to change at all. It's not our job to change people. It's our job to educate people and then hopefully then they would want to change themselves and to be a better person, right? Like that's why we take professional development. We want to be better clinicians. We, we're willing to learn, to change, and to adapt. So the, that's education and advocacy for me have done so much um, with trying to change people's minds and whatnot. Yeah, I think what you mentioned, like the self-reflection and like the acknowledgement that, you know, for, for you or just anybody that's going to go out and try and spark change. Like if you can critically look at yourself and mm-hmm. hit it from all different angles, you know, try and see the other side and what, how they're perceiving it and know that you're doing what you're doing in good faith and how you're going about mm-hmm. it. Like, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing to create change and to your point like it's almost like the 80 20 rule with everything like there's just mm-hmm. those no matter what you say no matter what you present present you're mm-hmm. just never going to get there and odds are you probably need to because that person's not going to be that you know a gig- hopefully they're not going to be like a gigantic influencer and if they are there's another issue that we got to go through there but <laughs> things these days could, could potentially be seen like that um yeah yeah i think that that self-reflection is so so huge um and there's a lot of that missing a lot of people that will just say stuff and i know you've run into that as you kind of alluded to and not even consider the other side of it yeah because i've seen that i got i i need to do better at this like even within certain circles and whatnot like we'll talk about advocacy as privileged side of it all Mm -hmm. But then six seconds later, we're complaining about somebody, but we don't know where they came. You don't, you don't, you can't understand them. Yeah. Not them. And that's yeah. not even saying you're not understanding them as another white person. Like they're, if they're have a different culture or anything like mm-hmm. that, the hypocrisy of it sometimes is overwhelming <laughs> to say the least. 100%. Um, and 100%. Yeah, that's one that I think, you know, it's just hopefully that can change or you can at least get people to be like, Oh yeah, I see what you're saying now. So. And I've seen a lot of that. I can't tell you enough the support and the DMS I get, like keep doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. The thank yous, the I appreciate yous. And I'm just like, it, it's all worth it. You know, like I don't care that I get backlash. I don't care if I'm seen as a bitch. I don't care if, you know, whatever anybody thinks of me because I, my agenda is my agenda, but the the thing with my agenda is it's not mine. It's for my community, right? Lanx ATs. It's for us. Athletic training. It's not about me. And it's it's not the sense of other people. Exactly. An extremely different conversation because Yep. You're not trying to put down 
exactly trying to i'm trying to lift everybody up and that's my thing like only we're only lifting up single issue advocacy we're only lifting up these people you can't exclude everyone else like that's why that's why i don't believe in single issue advocacy you you can have an agenda but you need to be sure that your agenda is is true to the people that you're serving not just yourself because if your agenda is about yourself that's when we get the selfish selfish people who can't see other things from other perspectives and who aren't willing to look inside themselves and change so yeah that's huge yeah so um not trying to cut anything short but is there anything else you want to cover before we jump into the at chat five um no before we get into those i don't know exactly when we'll get this one out but it'll be relatively soon but i would definitely like to see in six months or a year for like a follow-up on just yeah how this is all going and you know, honestly, maybe it'd be good when it's not, when we're not in a pandemic and we can get back in and, you know, live our lives as professionals again. Because um, <laughs> there's just so much on this and it'd be great to see where things have evolved moving into the future. Yeah, I agree. Um, this is going to be a really good question. I, I'm interested in your um, response here. Where do you see the athletic training profession going in the next five to 10 years? Um, short answer, I want to see us very diverse and inclusive. Um, I also want to see us with better education and I want us to see ourselves as healthcare professionals. It, I think that mindset of just being athletic trainers. Mm-hmm. And athletic trainers only work with athletes. Like, no, we are healthcare professionals who treat patients. Now, patients can come from different demographics. They can come from the collegiate setting. They can come from the industrial setting. They can sure. come from secondary school, military, and so on and so forth. But they're still all patients. Yep. And we are still healthcare professionals treating our patients. And so I think, you know, people are so hung, hung over or hung up on trying to change our name. Don't call me trainer. Don't, why do you have that towel on your shoulder? Like, why are we focusing on, on those things? Right. Um, you know, when we can be referring to ourselves as healthcare professionals and, if, and, and whatnot. So, yeah. So I think, you know, just being more diverse, we, we are diverse. But be more inclusive. Yeah. Be more inclusive, um, making our education a little better, a lot better. And then just presenting ourselves as healthcare professionals. I think if we present ourselves as healthcare professionals, it'll, it'll show our education and our true knowledge, and it'll build better relationships with other healthcare professionals that we currently have struggles with. I like it. The pie is big enough for all of us. Why? why? That's my, that's my yeah. one thing on advocacy within AT. Like, as we've got bigger battles to fight, this little infight just ridiculous about yeah. stuff. It's just, come on. Like, we've got bigger fish to fry with salary and all the other different things. But, yes, I won't. Yep. I digress. Um, what advice would you give yourself if you could go back 
as a younger athletic trainer and, you know, give yourself again, that advice. And if you could set where that is, you know, is it coming out of undergrad or whatever it may be, but if you could go back, what would you say? If I would go back, I'd go back to undergrad. Like I would, I would go back to my senior year. Okay. I go back to my senior year and I would say, don't give up and find someone to talk to because it really is all worth it at the end. But I just hear, I just hear so many horror stories about clinical instructors and preceptors just making kids like want to drop out of school and out of their programs and whatnot. And it breaks my heart. And I, at one point was like, oh, should I, should I go PT? Like, like, uh, I don't know. This is a lot. Um, anyway, I'm sure we've all had similar thoughts and changing our profession at one point. And so I would go back to my senior year of undergrad and I would just tell myself, like, don't give up and find somebody to talk to. Because having a person, just a person, can be extremely beneficial. And being a student, being a first generation student at that, it was extremely difficult. Uh, not only with learning how the hell to navigate FAFSA and, and, and all this stuff and financial aid and, and all of that, but being a first generation student, the pressures of the family, and then your family not understanding what the hell an athletic trainer is. To this day, to this day, my dad does not know what I do. All my dad knows is that Mika has three degrees, Mika is college educated, and she could help me with my injuries. Like that is the extent of what my, what my dad knows, right? But it's just like being able to find someone to talk to and to throughout your undergrad. Like that's one thing that I would I would probably tell myself is going through things alone is extremely difficult. Um, I was in my class. It was me. Uh, one girl who. Um, is Asian, one girl who's white, and then um, one guy, we're very small class, there's four of us, and then one was half white and half Mexican. Um, so it's just like, you know, just in that spectrum, I can only talk to them about so much, you know? So it's like being able to find someone to talk to, to encourage you to not give up, to motivate you, to help you. That's probably one thing that I would go back and tell myself, like, to make sure you, you find that person and that you don't give up because it'll be worth it. And it is worth it at the end. I'm, I'm very happy. Um, with my career so far so perfect uh what has been one of the most influential resources that you found in your career google <laughs> nice that might be the first time somebody's actually just said google I and mean, we've heard different variations of that but man google is the internet is such a just amazing thing man you can just you can find out anything you want at your fingertips and I, I tell you, when I got to secondary school setting, I Googled so much because of my athlete population, yeah. uh, more specifically my, my Latinx population, trying to understand the insurance part um, within our district and just trying to figure everything out. Like Google has been my savior. I Google translate. I can translate. I, I am bilingual and I can speak, but 
medical Spanish <laughs> is a whole different monster. You know, like speaking and having a conversation in Spanish is completely different than communicating, com uh, communicating with a Spanish speaking patient in medical language. And so like Google was my friend finding all these books on Amazon. Amazon's been great too, man. Amazon yep. like, oh shoot, I, I ran out of here on lace pads. I mean, go Amazon real quick. So I don't have to wait a week from right. you know, a vendor. Um, so yeah, Google, Google and Amazon are, are probably <laughs> two of the best resources that I, that I, I love and use every day in life and in athletic training. Perfect. Yeah. Um, I've got an Amazon problem just when it comes to book and <laughs> on my wish list, like my work yeah. wish list of stuff that I need to get. Cause it's, it's sometimes it's just yeah. easier. <laughs> If you could go and change or eliminate something within the athletic training profession, modality, a common practice or a mindset or whatever you choose, what would it be? So we talked about earlier, like who cares if someone has a towel over their shoulder? Yeah. Like that, that mindset needs to change. You know, we need a positive growth mindset. Like, okay. Someone called me a trainer one time. I'm going to educate them. Instead of taking, that specific instance to be like it's athletic trainer sure you know i'm gonna be like um i'm actually an athletic trainer and i'm a healthcare professional that does x y and z like i take those opportunities to educate yep. instead of shaming there's just such a shame culture in athletic training and that shame mindset like for what we're we're, we're healthcare professionals trying to be better for our patients not for you not for me, for our patients. How can I become a better clinician to better serve my community and my patients? And worrying about towels on our shoulders and squirting water in someone's mouth, like that mindset needs to go. It needs to go. It's just like that is the one thing. And because once we change that, then that opens doors to all other things that we can change. And so I, that, that, God, that irks me when people, I see those, those, that, did you know about Calgate on Twitter? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, trauma. Yeah, and everybody can do it differently. I won't squirt water into somebody's mouth. I'm not going to judge anybody if they decide to. I just That's the point. Hey, here you go, buddy. Like, you, you can take care of this. And yeah. most of the time, I forget to bring a towel anyway, but that's that's just yeah. something. Um, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. Bigger, bigger <laughs> issues that we could put more. Yeah energy it's that judgment it's that judgment part you know it's the judgment part like okay i have a towel on my shoulder that's fine okay maybe you give your athletes water and then i will squirt it it's each person does it you may do a lockman differently than me because one i'm tiny and i have different hands you know they're small as heck so i do my lockman different than you may do yours so it's like, why should I judge you based off of the way that you do something when we're all different? You yep. know, that, that, that judgment and that shame. Yeah. And we can be equally as effective. Yep. Final, well, not completely the final question. Final AT chat question is what does being an athletic trainer mean to you? Um, being a secondary school. 
athletic trainer, not that I don't love all my other athletic trainers and clinical studies, but I just think being a secondary school athletic trainer just does something to you. I have become an honorary mom. Some of my kids refer to me as auntie. You, you build these relationships and you, you develop, like you start to care about these kids. You know, a lot of us refer to them as our kids because that's how I see them. They're my kids. You know, they're, they're, I didn't physically give birth to them, but I spent enough time with them to develop these relationships with them for them to be considered as my kids. I, I take them under my wing and, and, and then I protect them and I care for them um, the best way that I can. Because I think, you know, being an athletic trainer means like you have to protect your athletes so they have a successful career right? So they can finish their season. But you also need to protect them so that they have a good quality of life. Right? Because after high school comes college, if they so and choose to play in college. Right? So and then after that, if they make it great, but if they don't, is their quality of life going to be good enough? Because you protected them. And more importantly, you educated themselves on them on how to protect themselves mm-hmm. right so i like being a secondary school athletic trainer that's what that means to me is being able to to instill that that um that education on having a good quality of life and in those relationships with an athlete but i think just as an athletic trainer in general it means that we care and we protect for our patients and it goes like they're not just it goes beyond their occupation they're not just a football player. They're not just a basketball player. They, yes, they're an athlete, but they're also a human being. And so we need to care for them as a whole and see beyond their uniform. Yeah. Well, well said. I think I've said it for not as long as I should have, but man, this secondary school athletic trainer, just for the impact that role has, and just for a on the patient and B just on the profession I mean, that's the first interaction most people will ever have with an athletic trainer. And, you know, we have people show up all the time at our university that don't want to come see us because they just didn't have a good experience and they, or they didn't have one and it takes a lot of work then, but man, that role can have such an impact on so many levels. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah. Kind of in closing, um, where can people find you if they wanted to follow along or connect with you? Um, um, they can find me on Twitter and Instagram, um, AYJM underscore dat ATC. I love the play on words, dat ATC. Um, and I'm also on Twitter and Instagram under Dorsey Sports Med under Sports Medicine Program. Yeah. would really love people to follow Latinx ATs. We have a Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook page. And if you're if you're in Los Angeles, come on over to South Central LA. I'll take you around. Uh, take you around South Central. And we'll, we'll give you a little tour. Well, hopefully, people will be able to make that trip more often than all right now. <laughs> post COVID. Yeah, post COVID, absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I got a lot out of this i think everybody else will too and i look forward to a follow-up no problem thanks for having me on i really appreciate it all right thank you